Chapter Two, Part One of the Rock of Chickamauga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rock of Chickamauga by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Two, Forest, Part One. Dick dashed after the fugitive, but he had disappeared utterly, and the dense bushes impeded the pursuer. He was hot and angry that he had been deluded so cleverly. But then came the consolation that, after all, he had won in the fistic encounter with an antagonist worthy of anybody. And after this came a second thought that caused him to halt abruptly. He and Woodville had fought it out fairly. Their fists had printed upon the faces of each other the stamp of a mutual liking. Why should he strive to take young Woodville before Colonel Winchester? Nothing was to be gained by it, and as the Mississippian was in civilian's garb, he might incur the punishment of a spy. He realized in a flash that, since he had vindicated his own prowess, he was glad of Woodville's escape. He turned and walked thoughtfully back up the ravine. Very little noise came from the house and the thin spires of smoke had disappeared. He knew now that the fires had been put out with ease, thanks to his quick warning. Before starting, he had recovered both his own pistol and Woodville's, and he was particularly glad to find the latter, because it would be proof of his story, if proof were needed. The rain had not ceased, nor had the heavy darkness lifted, but the looming shadow of the big house was sufficient guide. He found the place where he had slipped down the bank, and the torn bushes and grass showed that he had made a fine trail. He pulled himself back up by the bushes and re-entered the garden, where he was halted at once by two watchful sentries. Lieutenant Richard Mason of Colonel Winchester's staff, he said, returning from the pursuit of a fugitive. The men knew him, and they said promptly, Pass, Lieutenant Mason. But despite the dark, they stared at him very curiously, and when he walked on toward the piazza, one of them muttered to the other. I guess he must have overtook that fugitive he was chasing. Dick walked up the steps of the piazza, where someone had lighted a small lamp near which stood Colonel Winchester and his staff. Here's Dick, exclaimed Warner in a tone of great relief. And we thought we had lost him, said Colonel Winchester, gladness showing in his voice. Then he added, My God, Dick, what have you been doing to yourself? Yes, what kind of a transformation is this? added a major. You've certainly come back with a face very different from the one with which you left us. Dick turned fiery red. He suddenly became conscious that he had a left ear of enormous size, purple and swollen, that his left eye was closing fast, that the blood was dripping from cuts on either cheek, that the blood had flowed down the middle of his forehead and had formed a little stalactite on the end of his nose, and that his chin had been gashed in five places by a strong fist and that he had contributed his share to the bloodshed of the war. If I didn't know these were modern times, said Warner, I'd say that he had just emerged from a sanguinary encounter bare-handed in the Roman arena with a leopard. Dick glared at him. It was you who gave the alarm of fire, was it not? asked Colonel Winchester. Yes, sir. I saw the man who set the fires, and I pursued him through the garden and into the ravine that runs behind it. Your appearance indicates that you overtook him. Dick flushed again. I did, sir, he replied. I know I'm no beauty at present, but neither is he. 
It looks as if it had been a matter of fists. It was, sir. Both of us fired our pistols, but missed. And then we threw our weapons to one side and clashed. It was a hard and long fight, sir. He hit like a pile driver, and he was as active as a deer. But I was lucky enough to knock him out at last. Then why does your face look like a huge piece of pickled beef? Asked the incorrigible Warner mischievously. You wait, and I'll make yours look the same, retorted Dick. Shut up, said Colonel Winchester. If I catch you two fighting, I may have you both shot, as an example. Dick and Warner grinned good-naturedly at each other. They knew that Colonel Winchester did not dream of carrying out such a threat, and they knew also that they had no intention of fighting. And after you knocked him out, what happened? asked the Colonel. Dick looked sheepish. He lay so still, I was afraid he was dead, he replied. I ran down to a brook, filled my cap with water, and returned with it in the hope of reviving him. I got there just in time to see him vanishing in the bushes. Pursuit was hopeless. He was clever, said the Colonel. Have you any idea who he was? He told me. He was Victor Woodville, the son of Colonel John Woodville, C.S.A., the owner of this house. Ah, said Colonel Winchester. And then after a moment's thought he added, It's just as well he escaped. I should not have known what to do with him. But we have you, Dick, to thank for giving the alarm. Now go inside and change to some dry clothes, if you have any in your baggage. And if not, dry yourself before a fire they're going to build in the kitchen. Will you pardon me for speaking of something, sir? Certainly, go ahead. I think the appearance of young Woodville here indicates the nearness of Forrest, or some other strong cavalry force. You're right, Dick. My officers and I are agreed upon it. I have doubled the watch. But now get yourself to that fire, and then to sleep. Dick obeyed gladly enough. The night had turned raw and chill, and the cold water dripped from his clothes as he walked. But first he produced Woodville's pistol, and handed it to Colonel Winchester. There's my antagonist's pistol, sir, he said. You'll see his initials on it. Yes, here they are, said Colonel Winchester. V.W. C.S.A. It's a fine weapon, but it's yours, Dick, as you captured it. Dick took it and went to the kitchen, where the big fire had just begun to blaze. He was lucky enough to be the possessor of an extra uniform, and before he changed into it, they slept with their clothes on, he roasted himself before those glorious coals. And then as he was putting on the fresh uniform, Warner and Pennington appeared. What would you recommend as best for the patient, doctor? said Warner gravely to Pennington. I think such a distinguished surgeon as you will agree with me that his wound should first be washed and bathed thoroughly in cold water, and after that a plentiful application of soothing liniment. Yes, doctor, that is the best we can do with the simple medicines we have, but it especially behooves us to reduce the size of that left ear, or some of the boys will say that we have a case of elementaceous on our hands. While you're reducing the size of it, you might also reduce the pain in it, said Dick. We will, said Pennington. We've got some fine horse liniment here. I brought it all the way from Nebraska with me, and if it's good for horses, it ought to be good for prize fighters, too. That was surely a hefty chap who fought you. If you didn't have his pistol as proof, I'd say he gave you a dern good licking. Isn't this a pretty cut down the right cheekbone, George? Undoubtedly, but nothing can take away the glory of that left ear. Why, if Dick could only work his ears, he could fan himself with it beautifully. When I meet that Woodville boy, I'm going to congratulate him. He was certainly handy with his fists. Go on, fellas, 
said Dick good-naturedly. In a week I won't have a wound or a sign of a scar. Then I'll remember what you've said to me, and I'll lick you both, one after the other. Patient is growing delirious, don't you think so, doctor? said Warner to Pennington. Beyond a doubt, violent talk is always proof of it. Better put him to bed, spread his two blankets before the fire, and he can sleep there, while every particle of cold and stiffness is being roasted out of him. You boys are very good to me, said Dick gratefully. It's done merely in the hope that your gratitude will keep you from giving us the licking you promised, said Pennington. Then they left him, and Dick slept soundly until he was awakened the next day by Warner. The fire was put out, the rain had ceased long since, and the sun was shining brilliantly. Hop up, Dick, said Warner briskly. Breakfast's ready. Owing to your wound, we let you sleep until the last moment. Come now, take the foaming coffee and the luscious bacon, and we'll be off, leaving Bellevue again to its masters, if they will come and claim it. Has anything happened in the night? Nothing since you ran your face against the pile-driver, but Sergeant Daniel Whitley, who reads the signs of earth and air and wood and water, thinks that something is going to happen. Is it Forrest? Don't know, but it's somebody or something. As soon as we can eat our luxurious breakfast, we mean to mount and ride hard toward Grant. We're scouts, but according to Whitley, the scouts are scouted, and this is a bad country to be trapped in. Dick was so strong and his blood was so pure that he felt his wounds but little now. The cuts and bruises were healing fast, and he ate with a keen appetite. He heard then of the signs that Whitley had seen. He had found two broad trails, one three miles from the house and the other about four miles. Each indicated the passage of several hundred men but he had no way of knowing whether they belonged to the same force. They were bound to be Confederate cavalry, as Colonel Winchester's regiment was known to be the only Union force in that section. Dick knew their position to be dangerous. Colonel Winchester had done his duty in discovering that Forrest and Wheeler were raiding through Mississippi, and that a heavy force was gathering in the rear of Grant, who intended the siege of Vicksburg. It behooved him now to reach Grant, as soon as he could with his news. Refreshed and watchful, the regiment rode away from Bellevue. Dick looked back at the broad roof and the great piazzas, and then he thought of young Woodville with a certain sympathy. They had fought a good fight against each other, and he hoped they would meet after the war and become friends. It was about an hour after sunrise, and the day was bright and warm. The beads of water that stood on every leaf and blade of grass were drying fast, and the air despite its warmth, was pure and bracing. Dick, as he looked at the eight hundred men, tanned, experienced, and thoroughly armed, under capable leaders, felt that they were a match for any roving southern force. "'Just let Forrest come on,' he said. "'I know that the Colonel is aching to get back at him for that surprise in Tennessee, and I believe we can whip him. You're showing great spirit for a man who was beaten up in the prize ring as you were last night. I thought you'd want to rest a few days.' Drop it, George. I did get some pretty severe cuts and bruises, but I was lucky enough to have the services of two very skillful and devoted young physicians. Their treatment was so fine that I'm all right today. Unless I miss my guess, we'll need the services of doctors again before night comes. No mountains are here, but this is a great country for ambush. It's mostly in forest, and even in the open the grass is already very tall. Besides, there are so many streams, bayous, and ponds. Notice how far out on the flanks the skirmishers and scouts are riding, and others ride just as far ahead. 
two miles from Bellevue, and they came to a small hill, covered with forest, from the protection of which the officers examined the country long and minutely, while their men remained hidden among the deep foliage trees. Dick had glasses of his own, which he put to his eyes, bringing nearer the wilderness, broken here and there by open spaces that indicated cotton fields. And yet the forest was so dense, and there was so much of it, that a great force might easily be hidden within its depths only a mile away. "'Have we any information at all about Forrest's strength?' whispered Pennington to Dick. "'His full force isn't down here. It is believed he has not more than a thousand or twelve hundred men. But he and his officers know the country thoroughly, and of course the inhabitants, being in full sympathy with them, will give them all the information they need. The news of every movement of ours has been carried straight to the rebel general.' and yet the country seems to have no people at all we come to but few houses and those few are deserted so they are what was that did you see it frank what was what i forgot that you're not using glasses i caught a momentary glitter in the woods i think it was a sunbeam passing through the leaves and striking upon the polished barrel of a rifle ah there it is again and colonel winchester has seen it too the colonel and his senior officers were now gazing intently at the point in the wood where dick had twice seen the gleam and keener-eyed than they he continued to search the leafy screen through his own glasses soon he saw bayonets rifles horses and men advancing swiftly and then came two of their own scouts galloping the enemy is advancing they cried it's forrest a thrill shot through dick the name of forrest was redoubtable but he knew that every man in the regiment was glad to meet him again. He glanced at Colonel Winchester and saw that his face had flushed. He knew that the Colonel was more than gratified at this chance. "'We'll make our stand here,' said Colonel Winchester. "'The hill runs to the right, and as you can see over there, it is covered with forest without undergrowth. Thus we can secure protection and at the same time be able to maneuver mounted.' The regiment was posted rapidly in two long lines, the second to fire between the intervals of the first. They carried carbines and heavy cavalry sabers, and they were the best-mounted regiment in the northern service. Yet these men, brave and skillful as they were, were bound to feel trepidation, though they did not show it. They were far in the southern forest, cut off from their army, and forest, in addition to his own cavalry, might have brought with him fresh reserves of the enemy dick warner and pennington as usual remained close to their colonel and sergeant daniel whitley was not far away but colonel winchester presently rode along the double line of his veterans and he spoke to them quietly but with emphasis and conviction my lads he said you see Forrest's men coming through the woods to attack us Forrest is the greatest cavalry leader the south has west of the alleghanies some of you were with me when we were surprised and cut up by him in Tennessee. But you will not be surprised by him now, nor will you be cut up by him. All of you have become great riders, a match for Forrest's own, and as I look upon your faces here, I know there is no fear in a single heart. You have served under Grant, and you have served under Thomas. They are two generals who always set their faces toward the front and never turn them toward the rear. You will this day prove yourselves worthy of Grant and Thomas. They were about to cheer, but he checked it with a simple gesture of a raised hand. 
Then they did a thing that only a beloved leader could inspire every man in the regiment resting his carbine across the pommel of his saddle drew his heavy cavalry saber and made it whirl in coils of glittering light about his head the great pulse in dick's throat leaped as he saw the long double line seemed to give back a double flash of flame not a word was said and then eight hundred sabers rattled together as they were dropped back into their scabbards Colonel Winchester's face flushed deeply at the splendid salute, but he did not speak either He took off his cap and swept it on a wide curve to all his men and then he turned his face towards the enemy The southern trumpet was singing in the forest and the force of forest about 1200 strong was emerging into view Dick through his glasses saw and recognized the famous leader a powerful bearded man riding a great bay horse he had heard many descriptions of him and he knew him instinctively He also recognized the fact that the Winchester regiment had before it the most desperate work any men could do If it could beat off Forrest when he came in his own country with superior numbers Neither side had artillery not even the light guns that could be carried horse or mule back It must be left to carbine and saber Colonel Winchester carefully watched his formidable foe trying to divine every trick and expedient that he might use he had a memory to avenge he had news to carry to grant and forrest must not keep him from carrying it moreover his regiment and he would gain great prestige if they could beat off forrest there would be glory for the whole union cavalry if they drove back the southern attack dick saw the glitter of his colonel's eye and the sharp compression of his lips but the men of forrest Although nearly within rifle shot did not charge their bugle sang again But dick did not know what the tune meant then they melted away into the deep forest on their flank and Some of the troop thought they had gone daunted by the firm front of their foe But dick knew better Forrest would never retreat before an inferior force and he was full of wiles and stratagems dick felt like a primitive man who knew that he was being stalked by a saber-toothed tiger through the dense forest Colonel Winchester beckoned to sergeant Whitley Pick a half dozen sharp-eyed men he said and ride into those woods You're experienced in this kind of war Whitley and before you go tell me what you think General Forrest sir Besides fighting as a white man fights he fights like an Indian too that is he uses an Indian's cunning which is always meant for ambush and surprise He isn't dreaming of going away. They're coming back through the thick woods So I think but let me know as soon as you can Ten minutes after the sergeant had ridden forward with his comrades They heard the sound of rapid rifle shots and then they saw the little band galloping back They're coming sir reported the sergeant Forrest has dismounted several hundred of his men and they are creeping forward from tree to tree with their rifles while the others hold their horses in the rear Then it's an Indian fight for the present said Colonel Winchester. We'll do the same He rapidly changed his lines of battle the entire front rank was dismounted while those behind held their horses the 400 in front spreading out in as long a line as possible in order to protect their flanks took shelter behind the trees and awaited the onset the attack was not long in coming the southern sharpshooters 
creeping from tree to tree began to fire scores of rifles cracked and dick from a convenient place behind a tree saw the spouts of flame appearing along a line of four or five hundred yards bullets whizzed about him and knowing that he would not be needed at present for any message he hugged the friendly bark more tightly it's lucky we have plenty of trees said a voice from the shelter of the tree next to him we have at least one for every officer and man it was warner who spoke and he was quite cheerful like colonel winchester he seemed to look forward to the combat with a certain joy and he added you'll take notice dick old man that we've not been surprised forrest hasn't galloped over us as he did before he's taking the trouble to make the approach with protected riflemen now what is the sergeant up to sergeant whitley after whispering a little with colonel winchester had stolen off toward the right with fifty picked riflemen when they reached the verge of the open space that lay between the two sides they threw themselves down in the thick tall grass neither dick nor warner could see them now they beheld only the stems of the grass waving as if under a gentle wind but dick knew that the rippling movement marked the passage of the riflemen end of chapter two part one